Welcome to Healthcare Experience Matters. This podcast is brought to you by the Healthcare Experience Foundation. And with today's episode, we're teaming with PRC. This podcast is dedicated to transforming the healthcare experience so that every person can receive and deliver the best care. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Healthcare Experience Matters, a very exciting episode on hand today. I have with me Dr. Joe Nguanzo, President and Chief Executive Officer of Professional Research Consultants, PRC. What began as a passion for improving healthcare through research-driven insights has grown into something that positively impacts millions of patients every year through hospitals and health systems using PRC's custom research to achieve excellence. So welcome to the program and tell us a little bit about your background. Thank you, Casey. I, I tell people that I get I have a Nebraska accent, but in you know the, the first time I brought that up was in Baltimore. I was at a retreat uh, presenting uh, results of, of a consumer study. And the person who introduced me, she talked for a long time. So I didn't know what to say. And there were like 80 people in the audience. And I say to them, anyone of you have been to Omaha, Nebraska? And one guy raised his hand and said, he said, I think I flew over Nebraska in the way to California or something like that. So I pause a little bit. I say, by the way, this is the way we talked back there. <laughs> and then everybody took off on that one, you know. Yeah. So I, I got my audience back. But actually, uh, came to this country as a, as a tourist. Back in the summer of 1958, my mom and four kids, I was the oldest, since we're not too good in Cuba. And then we went back after Castro took over on January 1st of 59. We went back in February. Uh, And then the the real permanent time is when we came on July the 4th, 1962, uh, as refugees. We we flew. I got a couple uncles in Miami that paid for the trip. I think we... Pan American, I can't remember the airline. Uh, we flew into Miami, uh, and then uh, I was 17. I was fortunate because the month after I turned 18, I wouldn't be able to come on my mass passport. So we got to Miami. We have been there before. You know, in 58, it was nice. We rented a, a hotel, one of those Deco hotels in Miami Beach. Uh, that you just walk across the street and you're in the sand on the beach, you know. Uh, that was pretty nice. Second time was saying that's good because I even had to borrow a dime uh, from a stewards. I guess she gave me a dime because I never paid back. And then I called my uncle and say we finally got out because we were supposed to leave the week before and they pulled us out of the plane because they wanted to talk to me some more and tell me how bad America was and so forth. And I was fortunate to say, well, I've been there. I know what I'm going to run to. And they say, well, you're going to be a dishwasher, a little Jose dishwasher and, um, and do these things. And I remember we got to we got to Miami and my sister and I, we went around the Orange Bowl picking bottles to turn into cash. So we did a little bit of that and so on. And then the in the my mom had a PhD in education. She used to teach English in Cuba and through the Catholic Refugee Center, that fall, she was able to connect with the superintendent in a little town, thousand people in the middle of Nebraska, and they offered her a job to teach Spanish because the Spanish teacher got ill or something, couldn't finish school year. 
and they flew us off uh, to Nebraska and drove us over to uh, the little town. Uh, I don't know where the thousand people were at. You know, I went to school there and graduated in 63 in class of 25. So you think about culture change, Casey, from going in million people in Cuba, in Havana, into Burwell, Nebraska, a town of a thousand people. And you, the only thing I remember there was a, a city block with a bank, the barbershop, everything was in that city block. I didn't know where the rest of the thousand people were at, but it was good. Didn't have any money to go to college, so I had to go work for the apartment row for a year, save money, went to college, worked my tail off, made some decisions early that goes into this whole concept of focusing where your God-given talents are. Um, I took a speech therapy the first semester, and they tape you. It's all time with a little tape. They tape you. They give you paragraphs to read the first day of class. You go through the class. You go through the lab. You go through all of that. Middle of December, they tape you the same paragraph. You get to read it again, and then they play the two tapes. Here it is, the August 15 tape. Here it is, the December 15 tape, and I couldn't tell the difference. They sound exactly the same to me. So I went through all that thing. You know, later on, my wife said, I'm Tom Death. That's what the problem is. But and I was good with numbers, so I say, hell with strength. I'm going to have a Nebraska accent the rest of my life and go mathematics. And I went real hard, and I graduated in the 5% of my engineering class honors in math and everything else. So that was good. And then I got to work when I was getting my PhD in the computer network. And that was all time with key punch cards and all that stuff. And that went real well. And, and then we had uh, two daughters. I, the best thing that happened to me is marry a, a Nebraska farm girl that was home economics major. So I didn't have to worry about eating, you know? Yes. <laughs> she was good at, about doing that. So, you know, when you when you lose, you know, I, I, I had the thing that I tell people when I came as a refugee, I didn't have no check off luggage with me. I didn't have no carry on with me. The only thing I had is the clothes I had on. Wow. OK. And and so I flat out the English. I didn't know. My mother was the one that knew English because she used to teach English in Cuba. Uh, so we got, you know, we got into mathematics. One thing about mathematics is you don't have to verbalize. If you got it right, you're good. International but, language. Yeah. It's a, the mathematics international language. It's, 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 it's good you say that. So I started PRC. Uh, I knew how to do survey. One of the things that I knew because I, that's, I was helping the I still remember uh, in the social science it was all about factor analysis and in the in the business administration was about regression in the in the in the agricultural college was analysis of variance. Those are the main areas that people utilize for analysis. Uh, so I had a lot of knowledge on survey and survey design and methodologies and so on. Um, so I went and started a company by 19. 83, we started working with hospitals. My father was a physician. So my oldest daughter is a physician. You know, I'm the only one that is a PhD. 
Uh, I guess the youngest daughter is a PhD too. She's in educational psychology and engineering and statistics. The more representation, you got true representation of the people there. Now, going to our philosophy, how it have evolved, I think one thing that happened when you are 17 years old and you lose everything, you don't get to see your father again, you don't get to see anybody in the father's side again, you lose everything, material things that you had, they confiscated everything we had, uh, and we came just with the clothes we had on, no money at all. Uh, that material things is nice to have, but that's not the, that's not how we start the company. You know, we started the company because I didn't want to become a bureaucrat and sit beside a desk eight to five and not accomplish anything. Here it is at my age, I can share with you, the most satisfying thing in life is accomplishing things. I agree. And, and how, you feel, how you feel about yourself. And especially given your unique background, where you have the passion for healthcare coming with, I believe you said your father was a physician. Yes. And you have, so you have that obvious passion for healthcare and, and you have this background in engineering, statistics, computer science. Yeah. You're an affable guy. I, you've made me chuckle here a couple of times. So <laughs> I, I think it was a matter of kind of putting all your skill sets together and your passions together and having market research be kind of at the at the heart of the service. Yeah, it is. It is. It is a it is an strategy for growth. Let me share with you how I got there. Yeah. If you go back twenty some years, you know, before we had the government surveys, we had um, everybody of measuring satisfaction, and they get to realize that somebody can be satisfied because they have low expectation. Doesn't mean that much, you know. If you're satisfied, that's, that's not what you what I want to know is how you feel about that service. And I I came up with a concept of becoming, I think, you know, visualize yourself you're in Baltimore. Let's say, you know, you got John Hopkins, you got University of Maryland, you got let's say a smaller facilities, um, and you're the CEO on it. If I ask you, what will happen to you and your hospital is over the next three or four years, more and more patients that you treat and your people treat feel going home feeling that the care was excellent. More and more of those splitters that practice at your hospital, most of the surgeons practice someplace else, they feel your place an excellent place to practice medicine. And more of your own employees feel that this is an excellent place to work. What will happen to your hospital? What will happen to you? Any CEO that you confronted and mentioned that to them, they say, oh, that's a pie in the sky. I, I will have problem with growth. You know, everybody say growth, growth, growth. And, and they say, you know, they say to me, oh, that's a pie in the sky type of thing. I say, no, I have been able to make it happen, but it requires your commitment to execute. You know, I can collect data representative for all those three groups even at the unit level in the hospital, OB, because OB perceive care differently like the open heart surgery patient, you know, and the emergency room is different than the physician practice and so on. I can get at each one of those, I can identify what is the one, two, three things that is most important to those patients. But then you have to create accountability 
of the people responsible for those things to execute and get better. And if you are able to do that, the numbers are going to increase and all the good things happen. Uh, and that's our 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 triple E of not not just should to be very good because the bulk of the interactions are very good to start out. The differentiation is between the very good and the excellent. So if you look at what we have done over the years, is focus on how do we move the very good into excellent. Actually, the fierce and poor is a different problem. It's a service recovery thing that, in fact, it goes away or decreases as you get more of the very goods moving to excellent. And, and our whole philosophy has been over the years uh, not to focus on the negative, but focus on get the goods to great, that concept on it. And, and that is by identifying the aspect that on the survey for that group of people that is the most important in moving the people who really feel very good to be excellent. Now, I can share with you an example. If you have, and this goes back to the 1990s from Harvard Business Review, um, is the, the whole concept of how you feel about your car. You drive a car in Baltimore? I do. I split a car with my wife. Okay. Okay. Do you, how about you? How do you feel about that car? If I ask you about the car, do you feel like car is excellent, very good, good, fair, or poor? Serviceable. How does, does that fall into your equation? Oh, you have to give me one of the other ones. I'll say good. Good. Okay. Well, let's say you would say very good. Of those that would say excellent, if the car gets totaled tomorrow and you get money from the insurance company and so forth, there's an 80% probability that you buy the same type of car. Okay? You go back to the dealer and say, get me one just like it. Okay. okay? Yeah, makes sense. Now, if you felt the car was very good, but not excellent, what do you think the odds would be? I would think it falls dramatically. <laughs> it does. Down to 20%. Wow. Only one out of five goes shopping around. That's crazy. So let's say if you are a hospital, the ones that are excellent, you don't have to sell them anymore. They're not shopping. I get it. It makes sense. So what you want to get is a very good thing to excellent because when you get to be excellent, they're not shopping. Yeah. You know, you can put a, let's say, a physician practice. Uh, you, you drive all the way across town to go to this doctor because you feel it's excellent. If they put a clinic next to you, or next block, you still ignore that clinic. You still drive across town. That's the concept of excellence. And, and, and you know, it, it is very powerful. Is the, the concept that when somebody feels it's excellent, and, and the key driver, what we call the key driver, is that aspect that impacts the most on the very good to excellent. Now, think about restaurant in Baltimore. There's plenty of them around the Bay, okay? Yeah. One that you feel is excellent. Now, what you have to think about it, what is the one thing? It could be service, location, it, it, uh, food, taste, whatever it is. What is the one thing that it wasn't there next time you would rate, oh, still pretty good. You know, still very good. Yeah. Okay? That's what is the key driver. Okay. Okay. So everybody got a key driver. You know, your own wife, there's something that is unique that if she doesn't have that next week, 
She's not excellent anymore. She's very good. Okay. I hear you. <laughs> so that's the human beings. We make evaluations that way. And, and, you know, there's a pizzeria here in Nebraska called Valentino's. My key driver is the garlic roll. Okay. I don't care about the pizza. You know, I go for the garlic roll. Yeah. So if the garlic roll is not there, then I will go. How can healthcare systems and health systems and hospitals, what well, can be their garlic roll? The garlic roll, it depends on the setting. Okay. One of the things that is most important across all settings is how the patients perceive the nursing staff and the doctors working together for their benefit. If those two are at each other's throat, there's no way they can perceive the care was excellent. Okay? So it's almost like they have to be like Disney. When you work at Disney, you know, when you go in the park, you had a certain way of doing business because the people perceiving you. Well, the doctor and the nurse, they had to work together. Teamwork is the number one thing across all settings. Uh, now, if you look at the government surveys, it's different because there's a different purpose on it. Let's go back to 2007 when HCAP came out. Uh, and basically, my perception is that the government has decided, since they pay the Medicare, they pay the Medicaid, they pay a big chunk of healthcare, that they want implemented best practices as, as they define across all settings. And HCAP is one that measures this, the inpatient setting. And in there, they have, instead, instead of having a rating scale, they want to know if these things happen always usually, sometimes, or never. The only thing they want is compliance. So they're using the patient to measure and see how well the doctors and nurses and the staff are behaving as they preach they need to behave, okay? So they, they're using, it's not to identify how the hospital can do better for themselves and gain market share and so forth. They're trying to make sure that the hospital is executing as they see is the best way for whatever reason, the outcome or whatever it is. So it is a disconnect. So when you get focused just on the government surveys, um, you're gonna be okay with, with the government, they're paying the bills, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're gonna do well with the patient. And you don't have patients, you don't have to worry about, you know, they're nobody paying the bill because no patient. So what, what we try to do is to say, you know, you know, you have to visualize Baltimore, you got a lot of hospitals in there. Wouldn't it be nice that any one of those hospitals, when you go, if we, you need treatment, you're in the other side of town and you got an emergency, uh, that you get an outcome where you personally feel that they were excellent. And what is wrong with that? You know, what is wrong with making the organization more responsive to the physicians who bring patients in those are splitters to get more. You know, what is what is wrong to be able to get more employees working at your facility that feel that this is an excellent place to work? It's not money. It's how they feel about direction, how they feel about uh, listening and, and, and so on. So we're good about collecting the data, but we need to have 
a commitment from higher up of executing. Otherwise, it doesn't work, you know. Otherwise, you're just collecting data and put it in the shelf uh, and not do anything about it. There's been a need to practice resilience because as we're talking about on this episode about striving for excellence in healthcare, resilience is a key part of that. And it's been tested since the global pandemic in March of 2020 really started to take hold. Um, Is there anything valuable about resilience that you've learned maybe in the past 18 months or so, or just over your years? I think resilient is you go and look at decisions that I made in my life. I made the decision that there's no future to stay at the university. You know, they're trying to make me a bureaucrat and that's, I want to achieve things in life. Um, the same thing when I started working with that other company doing consulting for them. So I started my company. Um, the resilient is that, you know, you don't give up, you, you keep on going. Whatever it takes, you learn from. You know, I, I tell you my staff here, um, that is fine to hit a rock, but don't say, don't hit the same rock again. Learn from it, you know, and try to get better. And 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 by focusing in the stuff that comes natural to you is very important. So, you know, if we had if we have more people in this country that will go with their strength, not because it's a you know they're going to law school at Harvard and Yale is a big thing to send our kids to. But I was that kid is a numbers guy, you know, or, or a builder, you know, let's them be a builder, you know, not trying to funnel them into something because society think that that's the neat thing to do as a parent, you know, find out what the hell the kid is good at it. I encourage that kid to stay on that because if I had to work, in something that I don't enjoy and I'm good at it, I would be retired a long time ago. You know, I never look about, you know, that you have to be 65 retired. I mean, you're doing the stuff and you're 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 productive and you're able to help the organization, you keep on going. Yeah. You know, but you have to get in something that you have knowledge on it and it comes natural to you. So what I'm trying to say, we have more people in this country that are doing things that are like a hobby to them. You'll be amazing how how far they can go. That means that you don't have to listen to somebody trying to make you a jack of all trade. It's it's like having in in, in sports. You know, if you're a good at quarterback, what the hell they want you to be in the line, you know? You know, they don't have to be, you know, they got linemen and they got tie-ins and they got, you know, and you can maybe get a little bit here and this, the running back and the splitter or something like that. Yeah. But you can not have the quarterback to be a lineman. Uh, I don't know where, you know, so you have to get the best, in something like that, the best physicality, the best expertise. Yeah. And otherwise it doesn't work. And no surprise, a Nebraska guy like yourself would make the the football reference. <laughs> Surely a popular sport there. 
Uh, as listeners may have noticed, Dr. Nguanzo is referring to Baltimore a lot. That is where I reside and do record this podcast. So maybe that's if you were wondering why we had talked about that before we started recording. I want to get your thoughts on leadership. It's got to be so important. It, a lot of this, if not, well, you know, most of it starts at the top. What would yes. you tell to healthcare leaders today to help their institutions strive for excellence? Well, you, you know, to me, is is the focus on excellence. You know, if you, if you let things go downhill because you're the only one in town, uh, you're not going to grow much. You know, you, you're going to be the only hospital in town, but a small little hospital. Uh, to be able to grow, uh, you have to have people feeling good. You know, it, it, it's amazing. I've been to a lot of hospitals. I've been to a lot of states in the country. And I can tell you a little story from each one of them because there's different nationalities uh, in those states. Uh, and, but there, there's nothing, nothing wrong to strive for excellence. Now, if you are in there and you don't like what you're doing or, or you're content with what you got and you just want to, you know, go along, uh, that's a different story. But to me, the, the objective is, especially in tough times, uh, you know, you can see that you have organizations that pour a lot of money to get traveling nurses, everything else, because people quitting all other stuff. Well, guess what? If they had a lot of those nurses feeling that the institution was excellent and that CEO got commitment, and bring out the stuff, they wouldn't be losing that many nurses. If the thing is all about money, then you're vulnerable to the guy who got bigger pockets, you know? To me, it's all the way, it's a win-win all the way around, but it takes commitment to execute and being able to strive for excellence. There's nothing wrong with strive for excellence. Now, you know, we got all kinds of people in this country and the same as any country. Uh, that got different philosophies on things. Uh, you know, I, I say, whoever put us together had, you know, God, whoever, you have to acknowledge that they, that race or whatever it was, have a heck of a lot more knowledge than what we got today. I mean, we have to go for a few more years before we can get that knowledge about two little cells got together and here you are, you know. 30 years later. Uh, so if they wanted to make everybody the same, everybody would look the same. There's a reason behind. Everybody's different. And even twins, they're different. And they got different strengths. You know? So to make the same work in the long haul, you have to have different personalities, different races, different different things working together uh, for the benefit of mankind. Mankind is not distributing what already have been created, is to provide the environment that is more stuff created. As it relates to healthcare, what is wrong? Just try to have more patients, more doctors, more employees of your institution feeling internally that the institution have become excellent from that perspective. That's that's my preaching on it. 
driving is, is to help help organizations become excellent and, and work with CEOs or organizations that want to achieve that. And, and we provide the information that is needed because you can you can put a lot of effort. You're focusing what doesn't count, but it goes in vain. So my is again, is a way to maximize, to optimize the effort so you can keep the clinical side operational and you're going to do anything as relate to the customer side, let's focus only on the stuff that counts the most. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to Dr. Joe Nguanzo. He's the president and CEO of Professional Research Consultants. Thank you again, Dr. Nguanzo, for your time. Thank you, Casey. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Healthcare Experience Matters. Healthcare Experience Matters is brought to you by the Healthcare Experience Foundation. With today's episode teaming with PRC. To learn more, visit healthcareexperience.org. That's healthcareexperience.org.